And hear the words that God is proclaiming to you. Uh, seek to allow them to seep into your soul and become the actions of your daily lives. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. May God add his blessing on that reading. And will you pray with me for our pastor who comes now uh, to speak. O God who was and is and is to come. Father of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and parent of Keith our preacher today. We ask O God that you might just bring your spirit to him in full measure this morning. That as he comes to interpret these words for this people, that they might be inspired, not just for a moment, but for a lifetime, to be greater disciples of you. In your name we pray, and in advance of your great miracles to come through our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. That was a beautiful song, wasn't it? It's good to be with you this morning. We are working through this sermon series called United Methodist Distinctives, and we've spent a couple weeks uh, talking about first where we Methodists came from in the first place, right? And, you know, and uh, then we spent a couple weeks talking about what United Methodists believe, and and we we talked about what it means to have a an Armenian theology. And if you need to know what that is, you can watch the, the sermon on the website. <clears throat> Because um, I'm not going to re-unpack all that right now. Uh, then last week, Pastor Mike, of course, talked about the doctrines of grace and what we believe as a church about grace and what makes us distinctive in that. Well, today we're turning a little bit of a corner. We're going to start talking about what us crazy United Methodists do. Like, what are we supposed to do now that we have this faith? Right. That's the that's the the big important question. And I I throw that verse from James up there one more time, just so you can see our, our scriptural basis for asking that question because oftentimes when we personalize this question, we, we start by asking, what do I do? What does my faith look like? And we see that according to the, to the gospel, or to, to James and, and his words, that we can say we have faith, we can say we're Christians, we can have all these beliefs, these beliefs but if it doesn't motivate us to do anything, if nothing happens as a result of it, then what is the point of it, right? So I want to start by, by asking you this morning, what do you do as a United Methodist? What is, where does your faith impact your life? What happens in your life because you're a Christian, because what you believe about Jesus Christ? Now, if the answer to your question is, well, I go to church, you lose, right? That can't be it, okay? Going to church cannot be the whole reason uh, or the whole effect of Christianity for you. <clears throat> Going to church. Sadly, for a lot of people, that's kind of the end of their faith, isn't it? Well, I'm a Christian. 
Well, what does that mean? Well, I go to church. Well, you see, we come to church to worship the living God, but really, the reality is, we go to church so that we can be equipped to do the ministry that God has called us to do. So really, the work of the Christian isn't about the, the, the hour or two they spend in a church on Sunday morning. It's about what they do when they go out into the rest of their lives. Amen? That's what it's about. You see, James tells us you can have all that faith, but if there's no works behind it, if there's nothing that is the result of it, then it's dead faith. He doesn't say you're not really a Christian. He doesn't say you're not saved. He just says that your faith is lifeless. It's dead. You can believe all you want. Even the demons believe in God. Did you know that? Even the demons believe in God. They believe in God more than you do. But they shudder. They shudder. Because they know what their future holds. Now, to a certain degree, this sermon is not really about what makes United Methodists distinct. Because the truth is, all Christians everywhere should have something that they're doing because of their faith, right? The question is, what is the focus of the United Methodist Church when it comes to putting their faith into action? Now... There are some distinctives, though, and it begins with our mission statement. You all know what our mission statement is, right, as a church? The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's our mission statement. Everyone knows what that is. But you see, going to church is not part of that, is it? Now, be careful. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Hey, Pastor Keith said we don't have to go to church and still fulfill our mission. That's not what I'm saying. But this mission statement shows us our distinctive. Because it says the the mission of the United Methodist Church is not to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the church, but of the world. You see, sometimes we can get caught up so much in what goes on in here that we forget that our mission is really not about what happens in here. It's about what happens out there. We come here to be built up. So how is this distinctive? Well, our, our focus really is inward or is not inward, but rather it's outward. And, and it's distinctive because for some churches, for many churches, that's not the way it is. There are many churches that their focus is inward. It's focused on themselves. It's focused on what happens within their own community and within their own facility. There are many churches that view themselves really as a safe haven from the world, as a separate place from the world. And their mission is to create and preserve the purest environment they can possibly imagine. I call them separatist churches. About a million years ago, when I was uh, 19, I had, I had made my parents extremely proud by dropping out of college and moving to Philadelphia to play drums in a rock band. It's what every parent wants for their kid. And... I did do that, okay, I, I finished college later, but, but uh, I was like 19 years old trying to find my way and wanted to do, and I loved to play drums, and I was out there, but I was, I was kind of lost, you know, and I was, I was without any kind of connection to anyone at all, other than the guys that I was in this band with, and they had no desire to, to have anything to do with God or church or anything like that, so I was on this hunt to find a church that I could go to, okay, and one day I was driving up, up, up Roosevelt Boulevard in Philadelphia, northeast Philadelphia, and I saw this sign, and I thought, maybe it's a sign from God. And it was a church, and the name of the church was Faithful Believers Worship Center, okay? And I thought, well, that, 
that looks pretty serious. I'll stop in there and see what's going on. It was, it was during the week, so I didn't expect there to be a service, but I thought maybe there would be a Bible study or somebody would be there. I could go and, and, and make some kind of connection. So as I'm pulling into the parking lot of this, of this church, there's this, this glitzy-looking woman driving out in this beautiful, shiny Cadillac, okay? And she's driving out. She looks like somebody I'd seen on TV on the TV preacher show, right? You know, she's got the big hair going on, the big eyelashes, the makeup and everything. And she's got the big fancy car. And she pulls up and I pull up and I roll my window down. She rolls her window down. She's like, can I help you? And I said to her, I said, well, I was just interested in maybe coming to church here. What can you tell me? Now, her first words to me after that weren't, oh, I'm so happy. What's your name? Who are you? Let me explain to you a little bit about our church and, 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 and talk. She, she asked me a question. Are you born again? And she said it just like that. Are you born again? And I was kind of taken aback by that. I'd never been asked that question, you know, by a greeter in the parking lot. <coughs> Hospitality team, greeter team, write this stuff down. Um, <coughs> are you born again? And I, I was like, well, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm born again. And then she looked at me kind of like, you know, like, what? I don't know why she would have said that to me. But I, she looked at me and she goes, but are you filled with the Holy Ghost? And I was like, I am not going to go to church here, you know. <clears throat> not because I'm against the Holy Ghost, but it just became clear to me that, you know, what her job was, what she, the way she was behaving was that she was the gatekeeper, you know. She was there to protect the church from me, <clears throat> right? Or anyone else that wasn't exactly like them. So, so if I was a little bit different... <clears throat> You know, I wasn't going to be welcomed in there because their, their job and other separatist church jobs are to keep the church pure and free from others that don't fit in or belong. So, that's how some churches view their distinctive, okay? Others, others kind of go the exact opposite. And they have done their very best to take anything that looks religious or churchy out of the church, this is a term that's kind of sprouted up in the 70s and 80s. We call them seeker-sensitive churches, right? You ever hear that term? A seeker-sensitive? You probably heard a, 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 of a church service maybe sometimes called a seeker service, right? And the idea is that there are people out in this world that don't want anything to do with God, and somehow we've got to trick them to come to our church. So we don't want them to come into the church and see a cross or anything offensive like that. So they've removed all of the religious, you know... Symbolism. They've tried, they've done their very best to make it look basically like a, a, a Jesus version of the world. So the church is, it looks really uh, you know secular or whatever. If you could say that about a building, I don't know that you can, but I think you get my understanding that they have they have wanted to somehow appeal to people who have no desire to come to church by making the church not look like a church. Now, when we were getting ready to build our building, one of the comments that was made. Um, by some of our folks was, we want our new church to look like a church, whatever that means, okay? And today, that's not an easy thing to say, because churches look like all kinds of different things, don't they? But that was the, the spirit behind it, was, well, we, we wanted to make it look like a church. Well, there are lots of people these days that when they build a church, they say, we want to make it look like anything but a church, because they want to appeal to people who, who, who are offended by that or don't like that. That's, that's another type of church. There, there's another church... Who, who sees themselves as really like social agencies in the world for social services. And, and they function more as a social service clearinghouse. And they view their mission as simply to provide services to people in the community. 
And they don't want to attach Jesus to that because they don't want to narrow the scope of the people that they're trying to help. And if you, you know, give someone assistance and then you talk to them about Jesus, you know, that's, that's bullying them or that's, you know, imposing your, your religious view on them. It's proselytizing them and we can't do that. So, so there are churches that have fallen into that category. So look, all that matters is that you do good to the poor and we don't want to let God stand in the way of that. So we won't talk about God at all. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll partner with other religions and other faiths and other groups of people just to make that happen. Another type of church thinks that their job in the world and their distinctive is they're there to judge the world. And they're there to condemn the world. You've seen these, these, these people with the signs, God hates people, you know, that, that whole deal. And they've decided that their distinctive is to show up and be the, the iron fist of God and the ruler of, of you know, God's justice. So they view themselves as somehow having a corner on the truth and the ability to speak for God in a hateful way because you know, that's just how they want to be. And then there's us, right? Us Methodists. What are, what's our distinctive in all of this, right? How does our mission statement make us distinctive? You want to know something? I'll tell you what. The truth is, just about every one of those church types I've described, you could probably find a Methodist church someplace that's like that, right? You can find a Methodist church that believes that it's just got to keep itself pure from the world. Maybe not <coughs> by asking the are you born again question, but maybe they view that their job is to keep themselves pure by not letting any of that crazy contemporary worship in the building, right? Or by maybe not letting any, you know, anybody spill a drink on the coffee or their coffee on the carpet or something. I mean, there's all different ways this manifests itself. When we've decided that our focus is inward and we've got to keep ourselves and our ministry exactly the way we want it. So we've got to protect ourselves from the outside world, right? There's probably Methodist churches out there that have decided to become more seeker sensitive. I'm sure there are. I know some that have really wanted to do everything they can to de-emphasize the, the religious part of the church so that they can attract their non-church friends, right? And, and, and I know that that to be the, the case too. I know there's a whole slew of Methodist churches that are social justice churches, right? And that's all they want to talk about. And all they want to do is their, their social mission projects. And if you start talking about Jesus, they go, oh, that's not really who we are. That's not what we do. That's too narrow. I know there's a whole mess of churches like that, right? I haven't found any Methodist churches that do the whole sign judging thing yet, so we're safe there. But, but what I want to talk to you today about is what we're supposed to be, okay? What we're supposed to be. And not because Keith Nestor says so, but because the General Conference of the United Methodist Church says so. Our official, uh, you know, policy-making body of the church. And, and it starts with our mission statement, as I mentioned before. That in and of itself shows our distinctiveness, doesn't it? See, our mission statement reflects that our belief is that God is interested in this world being transformed. You see, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world is a given that the world needs to be transformed and that this transformation occurs not through some program, but through disciple-making of Jesus Christ. Therefore, our mission as a church is to make disciples. That's really our mission, to make disciples so that the world will be transformed. That's our mission statement of the church. Disciples must be made through the ministry of the church. And disciples must work 
for the transformation of the world. You know, disciple making is what it's all about. And we'll talk about how we're doing that here. But what we're recognizing, and this is huge, what we are recognizing with our distinct mission statement in Methodist Church is this. The world needs to be transformed. It needs to be transformed. It's not okay the way it is. It's not just fine for the church to fit into the world somehow and just sort of like enhance the world a little bit. We believe that the world needs to be transformed because it's not the way that God wants it to be. And we see ourselves as being used by God toward that that holy goal of making heaven on earth and making the world aware of the power of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the 2008 General Conference of the United Methodist Church approved what we call our four areas of focus. Now, these four areas of focus are, are, they're basically categories that help us in our mission. But there are more than these four, but I think these are good ones. And this is what we have said. If you want to see these for yourself, just go onto the United Methodist Church website. It's just umc.org. And you can see little videos about each one of these. You can read more about each one of these and learn a little bit more about each one of these. But I'll share with you what they are. The first one is this. Engaging in ministry with the poor. Okay? Engaging in ministry with the poor. Now, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any church that doesn't think that's important. Okay? And, and we're among the ones that believe that's, that's huge for us to be in ministry with the poor. You know, one of the markers of the Messiah was that there would be ministry given to the poor. When, when John the Baptist was in prison, he sent his disciples to Jesus with a very distinct question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Basically, Jesus, are you the real deal? And Jesus' response to John the Baptist wasn't, yeah, um, let me just tell you why, John, or, or let me plead with you or, 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 or try to convince you. He said this to his disciples, to John's disciples. He said, go and tell John this. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. You see, you can't have the Messiah You can't have the gospel of Jesus Christ without ministry to the poor. And if you look at the life of Jesus and his disciples, that's what these guys did. They went around and they helped people. They ministered to the poor. In fact, Jesus didn't just do ministry to the poor. Jesus was poor. He didn't go home to a lavish mansion someplace. He didn't get in a shiny black Cadillac and and, and drive away. He didn't have a big, beautiful house because all of his book sales... He was poor. He was homeless. He wandered the countryside with his band of followers and they were supported by other people. And one of the chief things that he called his disciples to do was to go and share the good news with the poor because the poor didn't have any good news. In fact, if you look in Matthew 25, you see that one of the ways that that we will all be judged is in our treatment of what Jesus calls the least of these, my brethren. The poor among us. He so identifies with them. He says that what you do unto them, you've done unto me. And what you fail to do unto them, you fail to do unto me. So you better believe it. One of our distinctives is going to be that we are going to take seriously our ministry with the poor. Well, the second thing is this. Improving global health. You know, we are called by God to steward His creation. And we're called by God to ease the suffering of the sick and the hungry throughout the world. Because if you haven't noticed... There's a lot of people in the world suffering and, and, and dying because they don't have 
just the resources that we take for granted every day to keep themselves clean, fed, and sheltered. And it's pretty hard to share the gospel of somebody of Jesus Christ if they're dead. It's hard to do that if they can't eat. It's hard to do that if, they, if they're encumbered by disease. So we see one of our main missions is to, to help with the this, this health of the world because most of the world is poor and there's a lot of people dying from diseases in other parts of the world that we could walk across the street to Walgreens and buy the medicine for right now for probably less than 20 bucks. See, we are called to do that. We can't just sit by in our little sanctuary, in our little life, in our little town and forget about what's going on in the rest of the world. We can't do that. We've got to be those that care about the lost and the hurting and the suffering in the world. Because this world was created by God and he's given it to us to be his stewards. He's given it to us to take care of and to rule over it, so to speak. So how are we doing with that, right? That's one of our, one of our areas of focus. The, the third one is this, developing principled Christian leaders. You see, all of this stuff takes leadership, doesn't it? And if we don't have solid leaders that understand and proclaim the gospel and are equipped to do ministry, we are sunk. And I believe it's one of the biggest challenges that we face as the church today, especially as a Methodist church. We struggle with, with, with finding these leaders, but we've decided this is one of our areas of focus, so we're going to do all we can to do that. You know, Jesus invested himself in these leaders and into these disciples, and he sent them out to lead and to do ministry. He gave them the authority to, to, to do the work of the kingdom of God in this world. And he's promised to be with us all until the end of the age. He's promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church, of which we are a part. But in order to succeed in this vision, in this mission, We've got to have men and women that step up and say, I will go. I will lead. You can count on me. So that's one of the things that we do. As we work hard to develop these leaders. And the last of the four is this. Creating new and renewed congregations. This is important because as the world continues to grow, so does our need for more churches. But meanwhile, especially here in America, many churches are declining and dying. Some because communities are changing, and some because they've lost their passion for the gospel. Some because there has been a lack of leadership. You know, and as the second largest Protestant denomination, which we used to be the first, by the way, we must discern how we can renew churches that have lost their way, and how we can create new ones where there aren't any. But it's challenging. I mean, you survey the landscape, and it seems like every day more and more churches close in America. More and more United Methodist ch churches close every year than new ones are started by an overwhelming margin. What are we doing about that? How are we going out of our way to, to help with that? How do we renew a church that's lost its way? These are big questions, but these are the questions that we have decided to take on. So how are we doing this? Let's talk about our church for a moment. How does this happen for us locally? Let's talk about it. How do we do it on these areas of focus? Well, we have a lot of stuff, 
And I don't want to give a big infomercial for our church, but maybe you don't know some of the things that, that we do as a church to live into this mission statement and live out these four areas of focus. But first, you know, we have things like Fly, Feeding Lunch to Youth, that feeds, that feeds you know, hundreds of students every day lunches. We're, we're, and we've got some very exciting things that are happening with that this year. We're going to begin to, to be starting to send food home with kids on Friday for their family for the weekend. We have other things that are happening. We've got the Friendship Fund, which is a fund that, that you all contribute to every year that allows us as the pastors and, and to, to, uh, to, to help those in need in our community who need it. We have Marion Cares, which is another organization that's devoted to Christ, but that's devoted to, to being like, in the lives of people in our community that need it most through providing things like backpacks and, and school kits. I was meeting with the, with the, the um, manager of the Marion Village Mobile Home Community up here, and I met with her last week, and she told me that her peop, some of her people think that she is lying to them when they hear about the backpack program. No way. We can really do that? There are people that do that? Are you being serious? That's got to be that's gotta be a lie. No, it's the truth. It's the truth. That happens because of, of ministries that you support. And of course, many other local missions, some of which that happen in this church and through the lives of the people in this church that we don't even know about. And I'll tell you something, I'll be honest with you right now. Those are my favorite ones. My favorite ones aren't the ones that I'm in charge of or that Mike's in charge of or that Vicky's in charge of. My favorite ones are the ones that happen because you all have taken that mantle of, of, of leadership and of mission and said, I'm just going to go do this. I don't need to have a meeting. I don't need to send an email. I don't need budget money. I don't need to, to, to take a bunch of people's stuff. I, I'm just going to go do this and get some people together and, and serve. We love that. Don't we, Pastor Mike? Don't we, Vicky? We love that. We, all, we love it when you let us know what they are so we can celebrate you and, 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 and cheer you on in that. But there are so many things that happen. Let's talk about globally for a minute. You know, we do so much with UMCOR. That's the United, United Methodist Committee on, Commission on Relief. And that's a ministry that distributes health kits and school kits and, and many other things all across the world. And our church, of course, is one of the leading churches in that in our conference. And, and we continue to, to do that. We also, of course, you know, you heard about Haiti. We've got people from, from our, our team here in this service this morning. And tonight they're going to be here in this room. I hope you come at 6 o'clock at night. A little plug for that. You may not be interested in ever going to Haiti, but I'll tell you what, you're interested in the people that you sent to Haiti, amen? So you need to come and hear what God did through your support of them and through their ministry, through our ministry, at 6 o'clock tonight. It's not going to take forever. Just come and, and, and bless them with your presence and show them that, yeah, we're with you guys. It's a powerful ministry that's going on down there. You're going to be blown away when you hear what has happened since our last trip in August on this trip. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing. How are we doing this? You know, we, we've, we've sent in leaders, you know, we, we send kids to Summer Games University every year. And, and, and through that ministry, people are being brought to Christ. They're, they're growing in their faith. And they're, they're learning about Jesus and they're being called into ministry. Did you know that, that this church, through the ministry of our, of our United Methodist uh, Church Foundation, of, of our local church foundation, nothing connected to the conference, but our own local church foundation, gives out thousands of dollars in seminary scholarships every year to our seminarians. It's a powerful thing that you may or may not be aware of, but, but you support that and, as you give. And, and, and we have people being trained for ministry through that. It's an awesome thing. We're, we help other churches. We have, we have ministry internships. Just even today, we've got a, a, a slew of young kids coming in to be interviewed about working in this church throughout the summer as fly interns, uh, music interns, ministry interns. 
And, and they're going to spend their summer working with us, learning and being trained and equipped. So many things. We help other churches in a lot of ways. We've incorporated uh, three other churches into our youth ministry. And their kids just are now part of 412. And we've got VBS workshops happening through, through Sunday school programs where people are bringing their churches here to be trained on how to do that. I mean, even more locally, you know, even within this body, we've got people, our discipleship pathway classes. If you're not in a class, oh my goodness, you're missing out on an amazing opportunity to grow and to learn and to, to, to be made more of a disciple. I heard from somebody last week, they were telling me how blessed they are to be part of Disciple One Bible Study. So I'm in Disciple One, and it's blowing my mind. It's amazing. You know, we do what we do because we want to live this mission statement out, because we want to make disciples, and we want to transform the world. And really, that is distinct. It is distinct. But I'll tell you this. More importantly than all of that, because it starts with you, is this question, you know, what do I do? That's distinctive. How are you living out this world transformation personally in your own life? How does it work out? It works out through listening to God's call to live a life of faith made alive by your good works. So your faith becomes alive in what you do. And I pray that that's what you're, that's what you're learning. You know, we've been in this series for a while, and I don't know if Ephesians was Wesley's favorite book, but it, man, I tell you what, chapter 2 seems to be coming back to us every single week because it's so pertinent to what we're talking about. But listen to what, what it says. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How do you live out your faith? Well, I go to church once a month. That's not in that scripture, by the way. <clears throat> He's created us to do these things. That's why we were made. We are His handiwork. And if you want to know what something is for, you have to look at the person who made it and ask it, right? And, and this is your clue to what you're for. You're created to do, in Jesus Christ to do good works. So really the question, what United Methodists do, starts with the question, what do you do? Because you're United Methodist. What do you do? What do I do? How will you live out your mission as United Methodists? A little bit later today, there'll be some, some people gathering to, to join our church. And one of the things they're going to do is something that many of us who are members of the church have, have already done. We're gonna, they're going to take a vow. They're going to make a promise. And if you're a member of this church, you've made this promise too. And you've promised to, to be loyal to the United Methodist Church with your gifts, your prayers, your presence, your service, and your witness. You've promised to do that and to support its ministries. That's a vow that you've made to be part of a church. Now, I know people join all churches for all different kinds of reasons, but regardless of the reason why you join the church, you made that promise, didn't you? I encourage you to, 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 to let that be a distinctive part of your life. Are we doing that? You know, here's the truth. Last thing I'm going to say about this. I can stand up here and list out all the ways that our church is doing all this stuff, and you can probably do that too, but I'm the, probably the worst person to do that. Okay? And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I see it every day, and so does Mike, and so does Vicki. You want to know who the real person you should ask to find the answer to the question of what the United Methodists do? Walk across the street 
to Walgreens and go find somebody. Say, hey, what do those Methodists do? Go down to the, to the square on the Marion by Moonlight on a Thursday night and just walk up to someone and say, what, do you know anything about that church up there? Do you know what, the, what do the Methodists do in this town? Go, go to the mall or go to the store or wherever and ask somebody in our community what the Methodists do. That is a pretty interesting exercise, isn't it? See, my goal and my prayer is that one of two things happens. Hopefully both. Hopefully they say, oh, wow, yeah, those Methodists, man, they are busy. They are doing a lot in this community. They are, they are, are, are sure a vibrant group of people that are, are really making some awesome change. That's the first thing I hope happens. The second thing I hope happens is this, that you invite them to join us, that you invite them to say, wow, you know what? You know what's awesome is that you can be a part of it because we're not a church that believes that we have to protect the church from you. We're a church that believes that you can be transformed and be made into a disciple of Jesus Christ and help us as God uses us to transform the world. It's a powerful opportunity, so may it be so for us.